1: Wow. David Eichel, Sean Bach, Hawkeye and Sarah.com, 24-7 Sports Network. So I rewatched the game in its entirety. Very, very different offensive philosophy, I think, Sean. Uh, I liked what Iowa did. I actually liked that Brian Ferentz said, hey, we're going to let it fly. You know, I guess what was your initial takeaways? Because I, I certainly think there's some cause for concern, but maybe not so much in other areas anymore.
2: Yeah, I, I think there was growth. In some areas, I think you look at the passing game, I personally really liked what they did with Brody Brecht a couple of times and tried it with a few other guys too, um, a little more of the deep ball a little bit. And I I thought that was really encouraging. I was on the field for the game and I was kind of like, it's just different when you see it from a a different angle compared to like the press box. So just watching it from that angle on the field, it was kind of – I was like, whoa, like Iowa is doing what like a lot of people have wanted to do, which is, you know, get the vertical game going, get it downfield. And obviously Brecht wasn't able to um, come down with some of those. But still, like there was just seemed to be more momentum and more willingness to get some of those deep balls. Now, the question is, will that happen in Big Ten play? I don't know, because there's less room for mistake mistakes in big 10 play and but I also feel like it's a sign of Iowa being more willing to do it because Ferentz mentioned it yesterday that with Brody Breck still making his way back and still trying to get fully I mean he's always been a he's been 100% recently at least from what we can tell but it's just an acclimation period that needs to come about and you know Iowa seems to be getting him more involved in the air attack and practice and Ferentz mentioned that Brody made a catch like that the, or yesterday during practice too. So I think that's that's a positive. Obviously, we mentioned Caleb Johnson. I still think the run game, there's still some question marks there. Um, when it comes to consistency, it reminded me a lot of the Tyler Goodson situation last year where there'd be a couple big runs, and then there would be some runs where it's like negative yardage. And that's not overly intriguing. I think the offensive line... There's still some holes missing there, but I really like Tyler Ellsbury on the interior and he even got some work at center. But I think Logan Jones is going to be the guy at center defense. You know, they were solid as ever. Cooper Eugene continues to be a great playmaker. Um, The linebackers did a really good job. I'm interested to see what they do at that um, Leo linebacker spot. I mean, I think Justin Jacobs, there's a chance that he comes back this week for the Rutgers game, which would be really big, especially with the way that Rutgers likes to run the football. But Jay Higgins got a lot of time there too, um, you know. Quinn Schulte, once again, I thought had a pretty solid game. Number of other guys, I think Torrey Taylor didn't. We didn't get to see as much as him, but there were a couple punts that maybe he would have wanted back. Um, defensive line, I thought some of the guys that have stepped up, Jeremiah Pittman, and Aaron Graves, and garbage time were really intriguing too. And it's gonna be interesting to see how Iowa kind of navigates through that with Galway Black potentially being out for a few more weeks and you know Iowa wants its its depth up front and i think you know it's either gonna be graves or Pittman that can fill that role because i think a guy like lucas vaness he's too valuable to have on the edge or to have inside i think he really belongs yeah. on the edge i mean he's really good inside but i think if you want his full effectiveness the edge is really a spot where you want him
1: you know that defensive line sean it feels like they played third fiddle throughout the offseason i think we look at You know, Iowa's secondary was highly talked about. Iowa's linebackers were highly talked about. But that defensive line was just not an afterthought, but it wasn't talked about as much. But this defensive line has taken the steps. I think we've all expected to see. I think Joe Evans, who I don't think anybody wrote a word about Joe Evans for some reason. I think that's on all of us based on the season he had last year. John Wagner seems to be really piecing it all together as a senior. Lucas Van Ness doing some good things. Deontay Craig. Aaron Graves was very impressive and Jeremiah Pittman, by the way, is an absolute tank. I mean, I, he might, I mean, I, I looked at him and I couldn't believe just how, how wide he was, just how strong he was uh, when I got up close on the sideline. But you know, the Justin Jacobs thing really intrigued me when Kirk said he has a shot to play because Sean, I was on the field for, for warmups last weekend. Justin walked by me a couple of times and he still looked like he was limping a little bit. It, It was, it was noticeable. Like Kenny, from the Des Moines Register, and I talked about it, we both agreed he just didn't look like he was going to be close. So the fact that if he's practicing, that's a very, very, very good sign. I think Kirk said he's hopeful that he's going to practice today. I agree with what you said about Brody Brecht. I know a lot of people are hard on him, but people got to realize he has not gotten the work. So I love that Spencer Petras let it fly. Even if they were in completions, it's something else they put on film for teams to have to study. And those are the sort of things that open up the run game. I think you look at – uh, before Caleb Johnson's first touchdown run. They threw that deep pass to Brody Brecht, which I actually thought was a very good ball. I think one could argue it was a pass interference by the DB. I didn't think it was egregious, but they could have argued it. Brecht couldn't come down with it. But then Caleb Johnson went up against eight guys in the box, broke a couple tackles, and there's the 40-yard touchdown run right there. So I liked what they did there. I thought Spencer petrus's ball placement was very good. I know I would probably give him a B minus, which is by far a lot better than the Waves on the first two games. And talking Nico Regani yesterday on Tuesday during media availability, he said that one to the end zone on that corner route, it was on Nico for not being fast enough. He said that was a perfectly placed ball by Spencer. And, you know, the receivers took accountability. I think there were a couple of drops in there as well. You know, Keegan Johnson doesn't sound like he's going to go this week. Uh, just it's a nagging injury. So a lot of stuff up in the air, but I, I do think Iowa can feel good about where it's at. But like you said, that offensive line, it might be getting close to hitting the panic button. I know Iowa had the two long touchdown runs, but this is against Nevada. Uh, I like Tyler Ellsbury in the run blocking game. I think his pass blocking still, pass, pass pro still needs a lot of work. Colby and Richmond, I still think are going to be able to get together. I think they're two guys that have proven it at this level before. I'm not really too worried about them. Logan Jones, I think, is going to be good in due time. I thought the Linderbaum comparisons were incredibly unfair to him just because of all the parallels. I know you and I have repeatedly talked about that. But I think people had too high of expectations when that happened, when you switched over to center. But, you know, like you said, I think there are some good things. I think Iowa's tight ends, it was a quiet game, but I think it was more important that Iowa's wide receivers really got back in the mix of things. It seems like Arlen Bruce is becoming more of a focal point for this offense, and that's something that I think is a very, very good thing uh, for this team. And something we haven't mentioned yet either, Sean Drew Stevens, I love a kicker. I know, you know, bad conditions, but just his his preparation and the way the ball came off his foot, it just looked cleaner and it looked better than, than Aaron Blom. And I know they've gone back and forth throughout camp, but – I I think Stevens needs to be the guy going forward until you almost can't put him on the field anymore.
2: Yeah, I I agree. I think Iowa kind of sees that the upside with with Stevens might be a little better. And obviously when it's a Big Ten road game and it's a tight game at Camp Randall or something like that and you're kicking a 45-yard field goal from, I don't know, dead on or the right hash or something, it's going to be a little different then going up against Nevada I mean granted the conditions were not ideal but I think you just saw the explosion through the football with his foot that he had on a couple of his kicks and you're like wow like this kid can really boot it and we knew about the upside we knew about the potential with him during the recruiting process but yeah I I think with the offensive line too it's interesting to see how much mix, mixing and mashing that they're doing. And I think a lot of people really underestimated the how much of an impact Tyler Linderbaum leaving would have. I mean, I think, obviously, it's a little different scenario than Nate Stanley. I think a lot of people really underappreciated Nate Stanley and what he did at Iowa's quarterback. Granted, there were some games where it was really frustrating, when he would, you know, drop back or miss some passes. But I mean, I think Linderbaum, yeah. I mean, you mentioned, I think the comparisons to with Logan Jones to tell Linderbaum were, were really unfair. And I think Logan will be a really good offensive lineman, at least his center in due time. I know Ferrance has really had a lot of optimism with him, but, you know, it's clear that there seems to be some sort of a disconnect with this offensive line that, has been holding this unit back. And parents addressed it yesterday. He, he's seen the glitches, as he called it. But he mentioned that it's it's a youth thing. Like, they do not have a lot of experience in game action with this team and with this offensive line. And that's, that's not really to call it a cause of concern, but I think it's definitely a reason why this offense has been lacking. And, you know, I think it goes back to last year. There was still some mixing and mashing that needed to happen, new group, no offensive line coach. And I think that has part to do with it this year, but it's just finding that that right fit. And I don't know which game you look at and you're like, okay, like Iowa needs to find the right fit. I think it's by the end of conference or non-conference play. I think that's probably the mark you're looking at. And if Iowa can find that at Rutgers, that would be huge. But, you know, it's it's not something that you really want to drag on for the rest of the season.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think Ellsbury is definitely going to earn some time. I mean, I think at this point, Sean, you put the best five on the field until you you have to be able to make a switch. And I think the best five to this point is Logan, Ellsbury, Dunker, Richmond, and Colby. I mean, I know the thing that I was missing is consistency, but they have to be able to find that consistency. So, those are the five there, but let's fast forward. I had enough of the Nevada game. It was just a very weird game. I think, again, some good things happened. Iowa's defense, by the way, has been phenomenal. I mean, I think the stat I read the other day was 86% of opposing drives against this Iowa defense don't even cross midfield. That's an absurd statistic, no matter who you're really playing against. But, Sean, this is going to be a very interesting game. Rutgers and Iowa. Uh, I mean, honestly, the best matchup might be between the punters, Adam Corsack and Torrey Taylor. This game's over-under is 35. It's the lowest over-under in college football in six years, and it still could drop. This Rutgers offense is not good. There's a lot of uncertainty at quarterback because Noah Vedro and Gavin Gavin Winsett are both questionable. They've been kind of hurt. They have one scholarship quarterback already on deck. And Iowa, Iowa's offense is still dead last by in total yards per game, and two of the three punts have been South Dakota State and Nevada, so it's not exactly the most encouraging thing. But Sean, I think it's very possible to say: Is there going to be more punts or more points in this game? I
2: mean, it's that's a real,
1: it's a real prop. I think.
2: And honestly, I think it's two fan bases that appreciate punting. When I was on the field on Saturday. Like there were, mo- there the amount of cheers for Tori Taylor during the pregame when they were announcing the difference when they were announcing the starters was significantly higher than any other. Like I think it went
3: selling a little or a lot. podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast
0: ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100 thousand miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it's official every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
2: It went Jack Campbell is number two, and then Tori Taylor was number one by a long shot. It was ridiculous. And honestly, I think, I mean, having Tori Taylor is a good weapon to have, and it's really valuable, especially for Iowa, which has really struggled offensively this year. There's no doubt about that. But, man, it's just like this game, you have to – I mean, Corsack hasn't had the year that Taylor's had. Granted, Corsac has not had to punt as much. I don't think he punted at all in Rutgers' win over Wagner. Punted in the other two games. But, I mean, it's going to be like – I think it's going to be like the, the 2016 game where there's going to be one or two extra plays that make that, you know, end up being the the difference. Punting, I mean, I could see a scenario where there's double-digit – I mean, not double-digit punts for both teams. That would be insane. But I think there could be over 15 punts combined. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't think I'm far off in saying that. I think Taylor had, or I think Corsack had seven punts last time he was at Iowa, and that's in Iowa won that game thirty nothing. So I don't think it's an outlandish take to say that could be the case, but like special teams, like this is the game where yeah, you know, people make fun of it, but this is going to be a game where that's going to really come into play because both offenses have really struggled. I mean, Rutgers' run offense has been good, but the difference between their offense and the games they've won and the games they've or the games they've won big and the games that they've played against Boston college and temple, those, that differences is, is pretty significant and they haven't played a defense like I was yet. And I think that's going to be going to be very interesting to see how they go about that.
1: Yeah. And as you mentioned, I mean, this Rutgers team really hasn't been overly explosive, uh, they have four rushers and that have over 100 yards this season. They have one receiver, who's Aaron Crunkshank, who is the Wisconsin, old Wisconsin return specialist, and he's he's a dangerous weapon in the return game as well. But, you know, Sean, it is one of those things where where are the points coming from? Like, I don't see this Rutgers offense being able to be overly explosive against this Iowa defense with what they've proven. I think Iowa's could be able to – to cause a couple of turnovers. And I, you know, I think this is a game where Iowa's defense gets multiple picks, but can the offense capitalize? And I think that's the biggest question mark for me. Is Iowa going to try to take those deep shots against this Rutgers team? Because this Rutgers defense has actually been pretty decent this season, Sean. But I believe one of the stats that stuck out to me uh, when I was looking through some stuff, I think they were 97th in the country in explosive plays allowed. So, I mean, this is a team that while they are very sound, teams can get chunk plays against them so my theory is that iowa was letting it fly against nevada one to get spencer's arm loose and two that's exactly they might take those type of deep shots down the field against this Rutgers team even though this Rutgers on both line of scrimmages these guys are big these are not the Rutgers of past i i know their offense as i mentioned is not good but this is not really a pushover Big Ten team anymore. I think Shiano's done a very, very nice job of trying to build up that program. Ferrance was very complimentary of them the other day. But I'm very curious who lines up at quarterback because I think Gavin Winsett is a – he's going to be a very good quarterback. He's very high, highly rated by 24-7 sports. He's a more of a dual threat kind of guy. He has thrown a couple picks this year. He still needs to get more in-game experience. But we've seen Iowa when – against these dual threat quarterbacks, Sean, they can just find a way to be effective and they, they can scan the field. And right when they see an opening teams don't hesitate to be able to go utilize that. I mean, I know people are going to scoff at this, but Adrian Martinez had a lot of success on the ground against Iowa when he was at Nebraska, Uh, not, not even on designed quarterback runs, but just on improvising and making those sort of plays. So those dual threat quarterbacks can be problematic for Iowa, but Again, I think this defense is interesting. I think as you and I both mentioned, and feels like everybody mentioned, Cooper Dejean, I would argue is a top three football player on Iowa's team to this point. I think Campbell and Moss still have a, a leg up on him. But Cooper's playmaking ability and his ability to just be kind of all over the field and make an impact. It's I don't know that many people on players on Iowa that could do that. So, like I said, it's gonna be an intriguing matchup. It's gonna be a very prototypical Big Ten football. I mean, Sean, if this game ends thirteen to three, it's not gonna surprise me whatsoever.
2: These are these are a few texts I got from someone who used to be um, in the Rutgers program. This is what they sent me. They said, "When the Scarlet Knights turn the ball over, their win percentage drops significantly. The Iowa defense must suffocate the rushing attack and force them into passing situations." The first thing the offense always says was zero turnovers every week. Shiana will go nuts if they turn the ball over. The defense is kind of good, but I would say establish the run and protect the ball. But I don't know the exact statistics, but I know last year, Rutgers was a top third down defense. So like you said, Dave, like that just sounds like like a typical like scouting report with some of these big 10 teams, but I mean, that's what it's going to be on Saturday. It's going to be a grind, grind them out, grind them out thing. Cause if Iowa can force Rutgers to turn with the football, then they might be in trouble or Rutgers might be in trouble. And then you've mentioned it too. And I know Kenny mentioned in one of his stories that there is potential for Iowa to find something in the passing game with how set with how that secondary is for Rutgers. It's, it's shaky in some spots. So maybe that stuff that they did against Nevada with Brody Brecht was a sign for what Iowa could do against Rutgers. Maybe yeah. we could see a couple more shots downfield. I don't want to say that's the whole, like, that's definitely going to happen. But I think if, if you're Iowa, that's something that you can look to attack, especially if you can get the run game going.
1: I think that's going to be the big question mark because I think Rutgers is only allowed 97 rushing yards this season. I mean, granted, the competition has not been great, but 97 yards in three games is pretty dang good. And this is a crowd that's going to be absolutely juiced up. I mean, this is – I think they've lost 19 straight Big Ten home games, which is a wild yep. statistic. And Iowa's aware of that streak. I mean, they don't want to be that team that that they snap it against. So this leads me to my next question, something I wish I would have brought up earlier, and it was something I asked Kirk Ferentz yesterday in the press conference. Remember, Sean, when Tyler Goodson got to Iowa? It was was kind of a slow start. A lot of buzz about him, slow start. More opportunities the season went along, and they finally named him the starter in week nine, week ten. I think it was against Minnesota his first career start came. Caleb Johnson, it was it was for different circumstances because LaShawn Williams was not with the team because his you know our, my best go out to him and his family is his father passed away last week, um, the, I believe the service was on the day of the Nevada game so he was away from the team he is back and in full swing but does Caleb Johnson continue to see extended opportunity as the season goes along because. Sean, you know, with with all the respect to LaShawn and Gavin, I still think they have it. We saw what they did in the Citrus Bowl against Kentucky. I thought they were both effective. But Caleb Johnson from a size, speed, and upside perspective, Sean. I just don't know who on that team meshes up. And on top of that, I was impressed with Caleb's pass protection, especially on those blitzes on a couple of plays that Nevada brought.
2: Yeah, I don't. See, my thing is one game, and I think what is, uh, what Kirk's answer was yesterday to your question I thought was pretty eye-opening that there, there's a chance to do that, and the mindset of Iowa with Caleb Johnson going back to the recruiting process was he has a chance to really contribute early. I mean, he has the makeup of a, of a Big Ten running back as an 18-, 19-year-old. He runs hard. He can get to the outside and get to, you know, that second level – he can shut off tacklers. I think most of his – I mean, that first run he had, the couple – I took a couple pictures of it that I posted on Twitter. And, like, those were ones that a lot of people, I think, would go down with some of those tackles. But he was able to manage, stay up, and then outrun the secondary to the end zone. And I think you bring up a good point. I mean, maybe Iowa goes with the three-running back look to really, you know, alter – Defenses and give them a different, give them a different idea, but it's like how how are you going to manage that? I mean, we saw that a couple years ago with um, Goodson, Sargent, and Torn Young, and I think it worked. But I think of this group, like there are similarities with all three of these guys that make it a little more interesting. Now, maybe that's just me, like just from the eye test. But, like, I think I think Gavin's quicker than he gets credit for. Or didn't look that way Thank on Saturday. Know. I think LaShawn. LaShawn has more wiggle, but he hasn't really been able to sh- – I mean, he showed that a couple times against South Dakota State. I think Caleb Johnson is the most all-around back on the team, along with Jazzy and Patterson. But I think maybe Johnson has more of that, that size that you want with uh, a running back that's pretty powerful. But I don't know, like. Could do you think? Do you think Caleb ends up being the the starter at some point? Because I'm not. I I think they stick with Gavin, and I know they really like LaShawn too. Yeah, but it's also a matter of like you go with the guy that's been the best for you. And granted, it was two carries, like two carries that totaled ninety. How much was it? I think it was ninety-five yards. Yeah. So it was one is a forty, one was a fifty-five. Right. And he had seven carries. So five, the other five carries were for eight yards. Yep. And I know that stats are kind of, kind of, you know, what's the word I'm looking for. It it goes
1: back to what we talked about in the preseason where my number one thing for the running game was any consistency. They, they, it can't be that good sense scenario. As you mentioned earlier, it can't be the 30, 20, I mean, sorry, 30, then two yards, negative one, whatever. Um, so I, I hear what you're saying, and I agree with you. I, I think Caleb's going to have to just snag the opportunity. I think I like – but, again, it's one of those things where he's got the highest upside. I think you and I have both said that all along. I think LaShawn and Gavin can be very good backs. I think they can be more consistent. But two things stuck out to me, Sean, about his touchdown runs. That one up the middle, I think he broke three tackles, and it looked like a college sophomore going up against middle schoolers. Like they were bouncing off him. Like they weren't close to tackling him. I do think that Liddell's going to get on him about not switching the ball to his outside hand when he cut back on that, because that's how you get stripped in college football is you carry that on the inside. But the other thing was, and I, this is from a pretty legit account. I can't verify it. I can only say what was passed along on that 55 yard touchdown run. They said he got to 20 and a half miles an hour running. And with his size, Sean, and on top of that, this is where it really shows his upside. He was it looked like he was jogging on that second one. Like he did not look like he was in a full out sprint. <laughs> he was like gliding. So you kind of get that size and speed combination. You get that upside. I just think that while LaShawn and Gavin have haven't done anything to not allow them to have the carries or have opportunities. You can't deny Caleb Johnson if he's going to be able to do stuff like that. It, it, it just The the upside's there, and at this point, Iowa needs as much upside and talent on the field as possible.
2: Right, and I know it's a thing where you want to go with your older guys because it's easier, and, you know, those guys have worked in the program, they've showed flashes, but when you have a guy like Caleb Johnson, too, coming in, then that makes things a little more difficult with your job. And, I mean, I I think Iowa sees that, and I think they know that he could, that his offense could potentially take – you know, have that – had that upper hand with, with Johnson back there. But, you know, we'll see. I, I do think he gets more carries against Rutgers. But it's one of those things, too, where it's got to be five, six, seven instead of, like, one, two, 15, um, you know, that that sort of thing. And, yep. I mean, his, his previous carries, I think against South Dakota State, he had three carries for three yards – or, no, three carries for no yards. Yeah, I think – And then Iowa State, he wasn't – he wasn't really great against uh, Iowa State either. And, you know, I think that goes both ways. I think it falls on the offensive line and yep. then Caleb too. But, you know, there's there's got to be that more of consistency, not just Caleb, but all the way up and down the lineup. And, I mean, I think it's easy to look at those big runs. I think you could see what he could do. But I think Iowa would really want it to be more effective with those five, six, seven, you know, and those yep. potential 55-yard touchdowns.
1: I mean, it goes back to Iowa needs consistency more than anything else. I think explosive plays are great. But, again, I'll also attribute really quick, Sean, before we wrap this up. I thought Brian Ferentz called a fantastic game against Nevada. I don't care that it was against Nevada. Just from a scheme perspective, what Iowa tried to establish, I was a very, very big fan of. Because that 40-yard touchdown wall is still a heck of a play by Caleb. As I mentioned earlier, it was set up by the long pass to Brody Brecht. I liked how they came out of that, I think, third delay. And they threw that 46 yarder down the field to Nico Regani. And I like that Iowa looked to push the ball up the field. And not that Iowa needs to have these explosive plays time in, time out. Cause something else, Sean, that has really affected this Iowa team. Iowa's been beaten time of possession. I mean, Iowa's defense has been on the field so much. I don't have their exact statistic in front of me, but Nevada had the ball longer than Iowa did, for example. And Iowa's entire offensive scheme is predicated around owning the line of scrimmage, owning time of possession, in, instilling their physical dominance over over teams, right? So Iowa needs to be able to find a way to run the football consistently. They'll have the play action open up if they can do that. And Iowa's offense doesn't need to be top 50. It doesn't need to be top 60. It just needs to be below average or even average, and keep teams on their feet because I think the biggest problem for Iowa right now above anything else, They are the easiest team in America to scout. It's called you put an eye in the box and you wait till they beat you through the air. Every single play, that's all you do. And I think Iowa at least put some stuff on film now to say, hey, you know, Spencer threw some good passes. Uh, They have some wide receivers back. They got some weapons back. They can still hurt you. And as you and I mentioned, I think you agree with me. Talent has not been an issue. I think injuries have taken a big toll on this team, number one. And I think the offensive line combined with Pete Spencer not making the makeables. But at this point, too, it's also worth noting I've closed the book on anybody starting with Petrus this season. I, I think he's going to be the guy, uh, barring injury, knock on wood. Yeah, you were riding the
2: uh, Alex Padilla way for a while. I was.
1: Well, just you know, you know why. I mean, people can go back, and I still stand by at the time I would have made that change. But now that you're getting into conference play, and Petrus showed confidence, I thought his footwork was a lot better, his fundamentals were a lot better. I, I now I think if you make a change. It's just not. It's not the time to make a change. You had the opportunity. Now the opportunity's passed. So they got to ride with Petrus.
2: Yeah. No. No, I agree with you. I I think Petrus is the guy and. You know, I know a lot of people will be upset with that, but, you know, it's just – I don't think you want it to get to that to that second, third, fourth options right now, yeah. you know?
1: Yep. Big Ten play. I mean, the reality is Iowa lost to Iowa State, but all their goals are still in front of them, and they'll be the first to tell you that. And Sean, the West sucks. Big Ten West sucks. I mean, Minnesota, I think's going to be pretty decent, but they still need to play a team with a pulse. But they have a lot of pieces – Wisconsin, not the same Wisconsin. And those are probably the only two teams I can see winning the Big Ten West outside of Iowa, if Iowa can even find a way to get their offense offense going. So, David Eichel, Sean Ball, HawkeyeInsert.com, 24-7 Sports. We'll be back with you soon as Iowa takes on Rutgers this weekend, Saturday night, second straight night game. And it's worth noting for people, if you're somehow not aware, the Iowa – Michigan game will be the big noon kickoff for Fox. Uh, so we get Gus Johnson and Joel Klot. But I know a lot of people are hoping for a night game. Sean, I think we knew those hopes were going to be dashed after uh, having back-to-back night games, one at home, one on the road. But uh, I think Michigan fans are breathing a sigh of relief as well, at least from what I've seen in Iowa. People are not thrilled about it. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. So stay tuned to Hawkeye Insider.com for all the latest and most in-depth – Uh, Extensive coverage of your Iowa Hawkeyes.
3: MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level.